born ready. That's me. You're throwing me off. <laughs> All right. Hello, and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David, stop drinking. <laughs> Is this an intervention? <laughs> you do oh, like your Gatorade. Yeah, you meant stop yeah. drinking the Gatorade when I'm supposed to Yeah, how long you how did you think it was going to take me to say, and thanks for listening? Did you really think it was going to take, like, seven seconds? Yeah, I know, because I waited through the whole, like, welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I was like, I'll wait till I have my chance to take this right. pull of Gatorade. <laughs> <laughs> and for some reason, yeah, I thought, thanks for listening, David, how are you? It was going to be plenty of time for I'm me. I'm long-winded, to- but, I mean, I have definite lines at the beginning there, and they're they're very quick. But that's that's neither here nor there. Well, let's start over. Yeah. Ask, ask how I am. How you doing, David? Apologetic. That's how I am. Apologetic. Oh, my gosh. Or, or I, it, I'm in the I'm in, I'm in, I'm in mood to clarify. Cla- all right. Um, an astute listener, uh, fellow by the name of Eric, Eric, uh, sent us an email, sent me specifically, I mean, he'd sent it to our address, but it was addressed, you know, it was addressing me, uh, about something that I said last week about Appaloosa that, um, I need to clarify because, uh, if you read it, if you hear it the way he heard it, which is sort of, if you, uh, just hear it the way I said it, it sounds awful. Yeah. Uh, I'm surprised I didn't get more emails, um, because somehow I've uh, gained sort of a reputation as a feminist on this show, which is not something that I ever set out to do. Uh, but uh, you've said it a lot, like you're very—I uh, believe you've called yourself feminist, or uh, or very like uh, conscious of women's issues. Well, I'm I'm pro equality. Oh, okay, all right, okay. But um, so I what I said last week here. I'll try and. I wish I'd written it down exactly the way I said it. Okay. But I'll try I'll try and remember exactly how I said it. I think I I said uh being promiscuous for survival and killing for survival mm-hmm. are equally immoral. Yeah. Now, on a on its face that is a terrible thing to say. That is saying that being yeah, <laughs> sleeping around a, a little bit is just as bad as murdering a person. Yeah. That's not what I meant. For survival now. Well, for survival okay. comes into it. All right. Because these are both things that, uh, again, well, first off, you have to understand that I'm talking, in talking about Appaloosa, I was talking about in the context of the time, through, right. viewed through the lens of that time's morality, mm-hmm. where uh, being a, a loose woman or whatever yeah. was seen as damaging to the soul, mm-hmm. and murdering was damaging to the soul, uh, th- having to do them for survival makes them understandable i could have i said equally immoral i could have easily said equally moral and meant meant the same thing by it or equally understandable given the time yes given the time viewed yeah viewed through the the mindset of the time uh they're they're both things that were viewed as awful like wrong things to do but that that you can understand right. because of the the situations, and I guess I'm hoping that the fact that we didn't get more emails that I just got the one meant that most people understood what I meant by it. Right, but it also could mean that we lost a shitload of listeners <laughs> or something. That's not true, David. <laughs> That's not true at all. If anything, we you gained listeners. I don't know if we got some of the Tom Likas crowd in. I'm not sure what the <laughs> case was, but uh, so anyway, I want to apologize and uh, I want to thank uh, Eric for being uh, astute. You know, I. I don't necessarily encourage listeners to jump all over everything we say, right. but when it's something like that, yeah. uh, I appreciate someone uh, calling me on it. And to his credit, he also kind of gave you the benefit of the doubt and assumed that you just misspoke or something like that. Yeah, I, so. I, 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 just, wasn't, I, I just wasn't clear enough. Right. Because I still more or less stand by the sentiment of what I said. Yeah. You know, that they're both understandable reactions to the hardships of that time and that place. Right. But, um... And I think it might have been, because as we mentioned last week, uh, we had uh, talked about Appaloosa a few months ago in mm-hmm. m- even even more detail. We spent probably a solid 10 minutes on it. Yeah. Um, and I think you, pr- I think you explained, explained yourself then as well. I made more or less the well. same points, yeah. So, um, so yeah, uh, well, it's, that's, that's good of you to do, so uh, any, anybody who's confused uh now you don't have to write in so that's good for everybody <laughs> um yeah and uh, speaking of last week's episode i listened back to it and i decided that uh if ever you wanted to turn battleship pretension into a drinking game here's how you do it okay. you listen to last week's episode all right you take a drink every time i use the word solid 
<laughs> or every time David or myself mentions that such and such is not a perfect blank. Um, because, man, oh, man. What did I say wasn't perfect? Oh, my gosh. Uh, let's see. We mentioned Gran Torino. I mentioned Doubt. I think we both mentioned The Wrestler. Uh-huh. Uh, there are a couple of uh, you mentioned. Uh, I've loved you so long. Like we just right. we keep mentioning that we, things yeah, aren't we kept perfect. using the same phrase. Yeah. Oh. And then I kept saying, "Yeah, that's a solid script, or that's a solid performance, that's a <laughs> solid movie." Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> maybe if the thing was one hour, uh, it wouldn't have been so noticeable. But two hours of that, I say it like sixteen times. It's crazy. Um, so yeah, enjoy that. And I'm sorry, I'll try and use other words, but you know what? I don't think that's going to happen. So. Um, now, David, okay, I don't, I don't like to harp on things. That's not true at all. <laughs> um, but uh, last week, I, was, um, I saw some movies in preparation for our, our episode last mm-hmm. week. And, um, and when I went and saw... This Rebel- week, take a drink every time Tyler says last week. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> that's twice a that's sentence twice right there. In one, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no semicolons, uh, nothing. It was one sentence. Um, but uh, I went and saw Revolutionary Road uh-huh. at a uh, wonderful theater in Pasadena that's incredibly cheap. Um, and Half of that is true. That's an incredibly cheap theater. Uh, yes, it is. Yeah. And I guess and it's wonderful by in virtue of that. that <laughs> yeah, it is yeah, wonderful. Yeah. I guess I just assumed that you'd, everybody would equate those two. <laughs> um, but, uh, oh my gosh. As I was watching the movie, I just, uh, I know we've said this before. We've rec- we've recorded public service announcements about it. Now I actually want to dissect it a little bit. I do not understand why people think it is okay to talk during a movie, and especially here's the thing: grown people. Like I was sitting, I went and saw it alone, and I was sitting uh, next to a couple that were they were easily in their forties. And um, and they brought their own food in because, like, the guy, like, snuck, like, a couple cans of Coke out of his jacket. And so, uh-huh. and so like, you know, you hear the jacket, the, the jacket, you hear the, the soda, the can of soda, like, pop and all uh-huh. that. And then you hear them, like, giggling and stuff. And they, they just keep talking and giggling throughout the film. And I was like, this is Revolutionary Road. Yeah. What is so funny? Did you shush them? No, I didn't because I don't have any You got to shush them. But it's just. And I always think that, like, after the, uh, especially people like that, who I know probably won't hurt me, um, I just, I feel like after the movie, I would, I would be like, excuse me, I'm sorry. And, and like, be nice about it. Be like, it was very distracting when you were talking during the film. Do you think you could just not do that from now on? But I never do because ultimately they leave and then it's not really in my, and then I don't really think about it. I'm thinking about the movie. Uh-huh. But I don't. I don't know. It, I really anybody if if you talk during films or if you have in the past, please email us because I really don't understand why somebody thinks that that's acceptable. Certain certain people like certain people like of a certain age group. I understand you're young. You're just having fun with your friends. You're not really taking things seriously. But like like adults, like grown people that talk during yeah. movies that. I that I guess that's what I'm talking about cuz like as I mentioned before years ago Jen and I in Chicago went to a really nice theater and saw Owning Mahoney and sure enough like right behind us was a couple probably in their fif- in their 50s you know and they looked very nice and they looked very um you know well to do but they kept talking I'm trying to guess what theater you saw Owning Mahoney at Piper's Alley Uh yes all right well done and uh <laughs> that's a good theater everybody Piper's Alley um and so I just, I really, and I'm not really sure what, I, what I'm what i trying to say. Maybe I'll ask David. David, do you have any theories as to why these people think that this is a acceptable behavior? Do they think people don't hear them? Uh, I, I think the, um, the demarcation between public and private space has just become blurred. And people okay. behave as if they're... At home. It's just same, the same as you see people walking around a grocery store just, like, squawking into their cell phones, you know? Yeah. Like, I'm not saying I'll, I'll talk to my cell phone in public, but right. I tend to, like, remove myself from a group or, or yeah. like, talk lower. Okay, people, you don't have to – cell phone technology is such that you don't have to scream into your phone. Right. Okay? Right. Uh, but, it, yeah, it's, it's the same thing. It's 
we're all we all live in this our public spaces we all share them we all live in them together yeah and that's why there are rules it may sound sort of like stuffy yeah you know and old-fashioned for me to like harp on manners yeah but really let's try and keep a little bit of decorum in the way that we comport ourselves in public as opposed to the way we act in private yeah i mean it's i mean it's everything from people wearing like flip-flops in public which is only mildly annoying to me yeah or sweatpants Uh, which is even more well that's sad that those people have given up (laughs) (laughs) i want to buy him a bowl of soup or something (laughs) um but uh yeah, let's. I'm not saying we need to go back to like the Victorian period, you know, right. and 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 abide by all those rules, you know. I yeah. mean, it's okay with me if a single woman walks unattended to the grocery store. Right, right. <laughs> uh, unattended is not the word I meant. Unaccompanied <laughs> is what I meant to say. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's. Uh, I, I'm not going to get on my soapbox anymore here. But let's bring back a little bit of decorum in the public arena. It's you know, and I I have to assume that if you're listening to this show, you probably don't do it. I assume that because I like to give our listeners the benefit of the doubt. If you are somebody who is talking during a movie, I will, I, you know what? I will excuse one whisper, like like saying like, what did he just say? Or something like, I'm all right with that. Because you're you're saying something and you're whispering, showing that you at least recognize that people yeah. are, are, are around you and that it's not acceptable to talk. But you're saying something in order to... F- you know, more fully understand the movie, but like just, I just, it was so frustrating and they had to know that I was, that I was bothered because I don't say anything, but I just glare at somebody in a very obvious way. My head is not turned towards the screen. My head is turned directly at the person sitting right next to me. And then he like kind of glanced over at me, but then they just continued. I mean, what did he think I was looking at him for? Uh, see, he was. I think he was challenging you. I would have. I would have started with the glare. If he kept, I would have moved on to the shush. Yeah. Then I would have said something like, "Knock it off" or something like that. Yeah. And then I would have done the manly thing and gone and got somebody. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, but you know, just like at that theater, especially, they'd just be like, "It's a two-dollar theater, sir." Yeah. I, we're not going to eject anybody. Yeah. Um, that's probably true. But yeah, so I know that that's we've mentioned it before, but I just it it astounds me that mm-hmm. people that civilized grown ups think that that's all right, and it's and it bothers me immensely. Like on my list of of bothers, um, that's right there at the top because it's not just that you're interrupting me from watching a movie; it just shows such a lack of consideration for anybody. You know, even if I'm not in the theater and I just hear a story about it, it's just such a because chances are anybody who does that, they're probably like that in other places as well. Mm -hmm. And like uh, Jen and I were driving today and clearly we had to turn into a parking lot before we got killed by oncoming traffic. And this guy is just sauntering along, looks at us, continues sauntering along and then stops and it's like, we're going to die, sir. We're going to die. And uh, and then he just continued sauntering along. And finally, we were able to make it. Uh, but it's just like, I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. And I understand that perhaps I am inconsiderate in, play, in ways that I don't uh, understand. Like, you know, spending 14 minutes talking about this. Uh-huh. But it's, I don't know. It, it, it astounds me, David. It astounds me. Yeah. Sorry, everybody. I just, I was, I'm flummoxed. <laughs> so, well, before we get to this week's uh, very fun show, yeah. Uh, for those who didn't read the episode description, we're doing uh, sort of an, it's an addendum to the favorite movies of right. 2008, where we do our favorite sort of individual achievements, right? Uh, you know, like the other Oscar categories, exactly. although we're not necessarily conforming them to what the Oscar categories are, right? I don't have a best sound effects, you know. I do oddly enough. <laughs> oh shoot! But I left off best actor. <laughs> That's completely false, yeah, everybody. I'm sorry. Um. Well, oh, one more thing. Um. Uh, I remember I, just the other day I was walking past a, a, a television, a public place that was showing like CNN, and I saw that Robin Williams was hospitalized. Oh, okay. And you know, I had the, it's sort of like like imagine like a like a 
uh, a guy who's been in an argument with his father and hasn't talked to him in 10 years, you know, mm-hmm. and then he just like dies unexpectedly and the son's like suddenly remembers all the good things about him. He's like, oh, I never uh. told him I loved him. Like, that's kind of how I felt. I was like, oh, no. Like, oh, I forgive you for making terrible movies for 10 years. You're right. Robin Williams. And right. you were once very funny and uh, are <laughs> actually a pretty talented actor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just felt I felt I felt bad for every bad thing I've said about him. Yeah, and and there's plenty of bad things to say. Yeah, uh, because he he's in a lot of terrible movies, but you know he was great in Goodwill Hunting. He was great in uh, Insomnia, and I mean it's just he is. I I think as a comedian, like you know he's kind of funny. He kind of does a lot of the same things over and over. But as yeah. an actor, I think he really yeah. can bring. And he made he made Dead Poet Society work. I mean I like Peter Weir yeah. a lot as a director, but that I mean that's. That type of movie, there's so many of them, you know. Yeah. There's so so many of those yeah. kind of movies, from all the way to like to Sir with Love, you know, to like Kevin Klein's The Emperor's Club, right? Which I didn't even see. Stand and Deliver. Stand and Deliver. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that. I was going to say that one. I'm sorry. Um. Uh. But he, I mean, he's a big part of why that movie works and is effective. Yeah, I would venture to say I'm not a big fan of Dead Poets Society. I'd venture to say he's the only reason that works. But what's but but the thing well, is, I Clarence Boddicker's in it too. <laughs> I know his name's Kerwood Smith. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. I refuse to believe it. Um, I like to think it's uh, he's like Creed from The Office. <laughs> anyway, um, but uh, yeah, it is. It is kind of a shame, and just there. I, I'm sure there's some people out there, some you know, ironic, cynical hipsters who hear that and they're like, like, oh, it looks like he was, you know, being a little too energetic. Maybe he can finally calm it down after. And it's just. I remember, like, I had that for a moment. And I thought, yeah, Robin Williams might die. And he's <laughs> a funny guy. Um, he was a ri- funny guy. In the right role, I think he still can be. But also, like... But I, I, I haven't been able to stand watching him on a talk show for that's true. at least 15 years. That's true. Um, yeah, but... And as far as, like... Uh, let's see. What's the last... I don't remember. What's the last movie he made? It's been, a, like, a couple years, I think. Yeah, I can't... Think, it seems like there was something. Was it the final cut? Has he done something since then? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, he made uh, RV. RV, yeah, that's yeah. right. Oh, Man of the Year. Man of the Year. That's right. That's right. Which I never saw, but it sounded like actually an interesting, an interesting premise. Yeah, um, I didn't see it either. But it got only so-so reviews. But um, I'm I own One Hour Photo. I'm not a huge fan of it. I didn't like it very much. But I think he does a solid job in it. Damn it, he does a good job in it. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, and I think he's great in insomnia. He brings so but much. To listeners, that you should know that every time Tyler uses the word solid, solid, he makes a fist and raises it above his head, raises it above his head. Exactly, it's like solid. It's very solid. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, yeah, well, we you know, and he's going to have uh, like heart surgery, right? I mean, it's like I think a, so. Yeah, it's a big deal. So, um, so listeners, we'll be following this story around the clock. We'll give you an update <laughs> in a week. Um, yeah. Next episode, we may not update you. We may not need to. All right, let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. Uh, did you want to start? Sure. Um, okay. So, I guess like we we did this last year, uh-huh. uh, and for me, like the 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 people that I want to try and single out are people that that weren't really singled out that much. Yeah, that's know? something. Especially since last week we talked about so many, we talked about Kristen Scott Thomas and right. and Mickey Rourke, and I talked about Ed Harris's direction and Appaloosa. And yeah. like, these are things that I would probably, if I were giving awards out, those are the ones I would have given the awards to. Yeah. But yeah, the stuff that's on my list uh, this week is definitely a little bit under the radar. Yeah. Although Appaloosa will be mentioned again. Okay. Teaser. Fair enough. Yeah, I'm I'm probably going to be repeating myself a, a few times. Um, I guess I'll start with uh, I'll start with a big one, uh, which is a, a lead. Uh, performance by a male actor. Um, I, a, as great as he was in um, in Milk, mm-hmm. I love Josh Brolin in, in W. Oh, He's, I didn't see W. He is the best part of that movie by far. Because, I mean, Jen and I went and saw it, and, and she was saying, like, he had such a hard job because he's playing, a, you know, it's not like Anthony Hopkins playing Nixon. I mean... This is a guy who was in office at the time, yeah. and you know going in that people are going to, they go in already hating your character uh-huh. from frame one. So what do you do? You know, and he's, thankfully, the, the way the script is, is written, it, it gives him some, 
you know, some positive moments, and he plays those perfectly. He, you know, you see the character um, as somebody who, I mean, it's it, they kind of maybe simplify things a little bit. You know, he just he's always living in his father's shadow. But more importantly, nobody ever thinks he can do anything, and so he's living he's living his life to prove something to everybody. Every decision he makes, every move he makes, he is out to prove something to somebody. And when the time comes, it's like, aha, you didn't think I could be governor. I can be president. What do you think of that? You know, he doesn't say that, but that's, mm-hmm. that's in the performance. And, but then, not even that's enough. Now I need to be reelected because my dad didn't get that, and he does. And, right. just, and then after a while, you realize, and, and it, there's not a lot of moments of intense self-reflection uh, in the performance because that's not in the character, you know, um, he just, he charges full steam ahead, but there is a moment, uh, at the very end and it's, it's a moment of symbolism, um, where it's just this realization where it's like, wow, I was always thinking ahead as opposed to what I had right now, whether it be career or, you know, a, a good wife or whatever. I'm always looking ahead, not realizing that, I have, you know, I'm the president now, you know, I can do amazing things now as opposed to always look about like, oh, what, what can I do that will finally convince people that I deserve to be here, you know, and, and it's a great performance. And, and what's more is he plays the character as a guy who's not stupid. He's not incompetent. He has talents and he has skills, just not necessarily in, and he has certain qualities that are good in a president, just not just not all of them. And so you really feel like this guy could have been a success if he had gone in different directions. But as it turns out, he just follow he just continually follows in his father's footsteps to show to prove to everybody that he can. And it's a, it's an interesting interpretation of the character and it's played so well. He's you know, as played by Josh Brolin, he's you know, George W. Bush is very charming and he's very and he's very heartfelt, you know. He never seems like, I mean, they <laughs> the film portrays Cheney as an evil son of a bitch, uh-huh. but it it plays it shows Bush as as a guy who is just very well meaning. You know, he's not out to hurt anybody. He's out to do what he thinks is right. It's just that what he thinks is right is kind of narrow and is very easily influenced by this evil son of a bitch over here. Yeah. Um, and it's a really great performance. It's it's an okay movie, but I would recommend the film. I would highly recommend the film on his performance alone. It's great. Okay. It's good stuff. Um, David, I'll throw it to you. I actually also want to talk about a lead male performance uh, okay. to start off. Um, well, first off, I've always thought that Sean William Scott had more in him than just Stifler. I've always okay. liked him, you yeah. know. Uh, he seems like a very likable guy, and the American Pie is a funny movie, mm-hmm. you know, but not. It's not on the upper echelons of like comedy nerdness, you know. Right. It's not on the on the on the list. Yeah. But uh, this year, first off, he got to work with, uh, you know, with with Paul Rudd and yeah. with David Wayne and like real like comedy, you know, uh, statesmen, yeah, or, or at least uh, people who were. On, at the current forefront of, yeah. of comedy nerds list of, of who's good. And he completely held his own in role models. Mm-hmm. But I also, I want to mention the promotion. Oh yeah, that's right. Which is also a very funny movie, uh, that didn't get, uh, as wide a release or as much press as I thought it should have gotten. Right. Um, and he, cause that's the difference in role models. He's still kind of a stifler type, right? right. You know, um, he's maybe a little smarter than stifler was, but, uh, he's still, you know, womanizing and uh kind of a frat guyish yeah Yeah. but um in the promotion he's very sort of he's kind of meek he's very he's like this this uh this guy who's in a job that's uh probably beneath him intellectually but Mm -hmm. because he was uh he's not assertive or much of an overachiever he this is where he's ended up in his life and he realizes that and this the promotion is about him trying to trying to move up, trying to finally at this sort of uh, later stage in young adulthood or, or early real adulthood hmm. for trying to finally make something of himself, you know? And uh, 
It's he, very much a different character. Did you see the promotion? No, I never did. It's, I always wanted to. It's not. He's nothing like Stifler at all, <laughs> and it's a it's it, it's a really good performance. And I really I I felt proud of him in a way because I felt like he's a guy that I who I had been like defending for yeah. for almost ten years now. And he's acting alongside John C. Riley in yeah. the promotion, who's of course a great actor. Um, and based on stuff that I've read, I mean, it's very they're they're rivals for this promotion, right? Yeah, and so. You need somebody who can act just as well, yeah, as John C. Riley, um, and it's and everything that I had read said that that he does a a really great job. I remember the the film, as strange as it sounds, the film that kind of turned me around on him. Not that he, I ever thought he was bad, yeah, but I always thought he was kind of one note. Um, then I saw the rundown, yeah, in which he's like you said, he's he's a Stifler like character, yeah, but he seems like a guy who's actually smart he knows what he's talking about he knows what is required of him to because he's like after this you know this treasure or whatever yeah um and he seems a little for lack of a better word world weary like he it may be kind of funny things to watch yeah to watch like oh he's fallen into a trap or something like that but he still knows what he's doing and he knows what he's talking about he seems perfectly able well, the rundown, it's a its a great, I love the rundown. Yeah. And it's good for a number of reasons. One, that it actually has some cleverness and intelligence to its action sequences. Mm-hmm. But also, a lot of a, a lot of the reason that people uh, look down on genre-type movies, see them as l- somehow lesser, mm-hmm. is because there are so many cliches that are possible, so many right. traps you can fall into, that a lot of movies just sort of hit those notes and say, there's the movie. Right. You know? Uh, a good genre movie will will be part of the genre and will hit the right notes to be in the genre but not hit the cliche but also take itself seriously as a movie like yeah. and the thing about the rundown is that like these are real in a, way, in a way even though the stuff they're doing is kind of ridiculous these are real characters yeah there's actual uh dimensions to them and sean william scott's use certainly the world weariness and he's definitely got issues with his father yeah you know that he actually even though it's not until the end of the movie that you actually see him and his father in the same room. Right. But he he plays that the whole time. Yeah. And it's that I, I agree. The rundown was what it's one of the things that I've long pointed to. Yeah. And I mean it's you know, again, he in a film with The Rock and Christopher Walken, it'd be easy to get swallowed up. Yeah. Uh, and he wasn't. You know, he yeah. plays just as much a role as, as anybody else. It's a it's yeah, I, I really do want to see the promotion now, actually, that uh, that you mentioned it. And I believe it was the set, uh, the second blog ever posted uh, on our blog. So uh, it's the first one that I posted, right? The first one that you posted. That's yeah. right. So everybody, take a look at that. Um, <laughs> all right. So I'll go with a uh, lead uh, a lead performance by a, uh, an actress. Okay. And this is one that I know you've seen, and probably one that I know you agree with, which is Emily Mortimer in Trans Siberian. Yeah. Uh, didn't put it on my list because I knew you would put it on yours. Yeah, yeah. And, and I was going to put Woody Harrelson on, but we talked about him last week. Right, and right. I mean, even though he, I mean, he's great in that movie. But yeah, let's talk about Emily Mortimer. That, you know, I mean, a lot of the characters in, in the film turn out to be not what you expect. Um, but at the same time, a lot of them kind of hit, not necessarily typical because that implies a negative thing, but all of them kind of fill genre specifications. She doesn't, really. I mean... She just, you never really know what makes her tick. You never really know if she's really in love with her husband or not. And then uh-huh. you feel like, no, she is. But she doesn't, she's not in love with the life that she's living with him now. And and she's just somebody who, you get the impression she's just always running from something. And in the film, yeah. she runs very much from responsibility, even to the point of like being threatened with death. I mean, she just will not admit some of the things that she has done even if they're not even really her fault. Like, she just... I mean, you hear about her past. I mean, she has a very shady past. And you just... And you know that that really enters into her thinking. Like, in a time of crisis, just run. Just get away from it as as much as you can. Do not admit to anything. Just deny everything. And, I mean, it's it's a fully layered performance, and it is not... It's not a typical. I mean, you know, David was talking about uh, last week that Woody Harrelson is is not uh, the typical guy in this in this film. In, yeah, but she's definitely not the typical woman, or even really a typical thriller protagonist. Yeah, um, uh, of either gender, it doesn't matter. It's a, it's a, and she performs it wonderfully. It's a, I I loved her performance and hated it. That's the thing. She's such a frustrating character 
There's not. I didn't hate you didn't her hit performance, the performance, but yeah, but, there's times when you you wish she would do the right thing, right. or you're like, what kind of person is this? Yeah, but you you always kind of empathize with her. Yeah, you know whose performance I'm uh, I'm reminded of in a weird way is Benicio del Toro in Twenty One Grams. Oh, because uh, that's another guy who's like. I would not hang out with this guy in real life. Yeah. There's very little that's likable about him, but because the performance is so so complete, yeah. you empathize. And that's kind of an actor's job, I think, is yeah. to get the audience to see into who a person is. Yeah. Uh, or see things from their point of view. Exactly. So that well put, yes. Even if you don't even if you don't agree with what they're doing, you at least see why they're doing it. Um, even if the character doesn't know. Um yeah, it, I I there's a lot of reasons to see Trans Siberian, but she is uh, astounding in it. Yeah. I loved it. What do you got, David? Okay, uh, yeah, there's not going to be much of a segue uh, okay. theme to this episode That's fine. <laughs> at That's all. Fine. But um, okay, you and I have occasionally harped on how we don't like when uh, non-voice actors get voice roles. Okay, so I feel kind of guilty about what I'm about to say. That's that's all right. But um, the <laughs> The uh, the movie Bolt, which was a cute movie, okay, and had I, some, I didn't see it, and had, had a lot of fun stuff. It was not, it, it was I liked it, but do you know the story of the the dude who does the voice of the hamster? Uh, I think you told me about it, or maybe it was a friend of the show, Jason Eakin. But I've heard from a couple different reliable sources how amazing. But do you know the story is. about how the guy got the? It's the guy. He's like a producer on the movie, and they didn't. Right. It was the last thing they had cast, and so he was doing like a sort of a scratch track version, and they just like gave him the role because they liked him so much at it. Which is not an un- which is not an unheard of thing to do. Like a lot of in Pixar, like a lot of animators will wind yeah. up doing the voices. But uh, and uh, so yeah, the guy. I think the hamster's name is Rhino. I think if I remember correctly. And why wouldn't it be? <laughs> uh, and the but the guy's name is Mark Walton. And he is awesome. He has the best lines in the movie. Yeah, he's he's really funny, uh, and he 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 definitely gives the movie. He he goes so far towards giving the movie its own personality as opposed to just being hitting the sort of right sentimental road journey, you know, which the movie does adequately. Yeah, but uh, Rhino's sort of off kilter voice becomes the it sets the tone for a lot of the movie. So he, he's. Hmm. Uh, I'm I'm pro Mark Walton. Yeah, and from what I hear, that character also has some surprisingly dark lines. <laughs> yeah, I know. I wish I could. I don't want to spoil them for anybody. Cause right, right. My two favorite lines in the movie are things that he says that are both kind of like, oh, that's yeah, that is a little dark yeah, for a, a kids, kids movie. movie. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. Well, that to me sounds like a supporting actor, um, type of thing. So I will transition go. into this. Um. You know what? There, I've got two here. I won't go into de- uh, into a lot of detail about uh, either of them. Um, the film The Duchess turned out to be better than I ever thought it was going to be. I mean, you know, I remember a long time ago I I mentioned. Oh, I think uh, Graham Elwood was bashing Kira Knightley, and uh, and I mentioned The Duchess, and we all three made fun of it. Um, but I watched it, and it it turns out to be an incredibly engrossing, tragic film. And Keira Knightley does a does a very a very good job, but Ray Fiennes as uh, the Duke is. I mean, it's one of those things where my it's a great performance in general. And then I watched some special features, um, and they interviewed him, and he said that at first he didn't want the role uh, because it was just very black and white, and it's a period kind of thing, and he's done that sort of thing before. But then he wanted to do some. He wanted to do some new takes on that kind of character and man does he like this is a character who i mean he you could look at this character and say this guy's a monster this guy just he'll do whatever he has to do he feels like he's entitled to do anything include including uh forcing you know rape and and all kinds of terrible things um but the weird thing is you never in spite of these awful things, you never condemn him fully. You know that he has goodness in him. You see hints of it here and there, and you and you just you hope that that will eventually come through. And it never comes through fully. It does a little bit, and you get the. And what's fascinating is you get the sense that this is a character who is just who is 
a pr- very much a product of his time. He acts in the way that he feels he is supposed to act. It may not be the way he wants to act, but you know he's the he's the duke. He has responsibilities and he has to carry them out. And and it is just it's a it's that's something that reveals itself eventually, and and it's purely through. The, the performance, I mean, the way the character is written, there's a couple lines here and there that hint that maybe he's, his heart is not in this, uh, is not in what he's doing. But Rafe Fiennes plays that without overplaying it because the fact is this guy still does do some terrible things. And it's just, it's, I mean, it is like, it is a, it, I don't know, it's, it's a perfect example of what an actor can bring solid. to a role. It's very solid. <laughs> um, but uh, so there's that. The other one, and I never remember how you say his name. It's Eddie Marsan. I have no idea. Okay. Um, he he hasn't been in. Uh, well, he's been in a lot of movies, but never a guy that you'd really remember that much. He plays, uh, I guess you could say, the villain in uh, Hancock, who is. Uh, they don't treat that character well. Uh, they just. I didn't see Hancock. It's. That movie has a lot of promise that it does not uh, uh, fulfill. Um, but uh, he is in... Eddie Marsan, let's just say that that's how you say his name, um, is in Happy Go Lucky. And as I mentioned, uh, Sally Hawkins plays this very, you know, a, an upbeat character, and she does not know how to drive a car. So she takes driving lessons from Eddie Marsan as the character Scott, who... I mean, his character is fascinating. I mean, he just there are mo- there like there are moments when he just lets out his life philosophy, and it's so bitter and so resentful and so <laughs> negative. But you know, much like Ray finds, you don't you never condemn him. You always hope that something good will come out of it. But in the middle of all it uh, of all of this, he still is a driving instructor, and so he still will. There's there's one little thing where as a way of remembering to check both mirrors and then check, uh, you know, check the side mirrors and then check your rear view mirror. Uh, it's something called En Raha. And he just keeps saying it. He's like, he goes, all right, so En Raha. And then, and then he'll continue on with what he is saying. Mm-hmm. And it's, and he says it was such a, such a passing kind of thing. Like, it's just something he's gotten used to saying. It's almost instinct now. Yeah. You absolutely believe that this is a driving instructor. He's do- this is his job. He's done it before. And this is what has worked for him. And, uh, and it's an amazing, it's an amazing performance. It's a shame. It's a shame. He wasn't nominated. I mean, it's just, I, I mean, she wasn't either, Yeah. but it's, it's, what do you it's think? very much what, I mean, when you think when you come away from the film, you think of her, and you very much think of him. I mean, he's he's great. You were going to say something. What do you think of Mike Lee getting so often nominated for best original screenplay, given the way that he works? I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I mean, if it were up to me, I'd nominate Mike Lee for everything. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think it's just. I think he's somebody who they feel the, the Academy feels like they need to give him something. Because it's Mike Lee and he has this great film. It's like, well, and they do nominate him for director a fair amount. Like nobody expected him to be nominated for Vera Drake. Uh, but if there's anything he should be nominated for, it's director. He's doing he's right. doing the job of director probably more so than anyone else. Absolutely. Uh, but you know, and but as we've said, as, as we've said before, screenplay is what that's the bone that they throw to movies that they know are good, but they uh-huh. may not. I mean, how did? How did Borat get nominated for screenplay? Yeah. You know, I mean... That's right. I hate to... Like, how did uh, Before Sunset get nominated for screenplay? I it's There's nothing yeah. wrong with it, but These considering are, what it is... I yeah. Mean, I mean, Before Sunset was somewhat written. Right. Uh, um, more so, I think, than those other two Well, movies. certainly, yeah. Certainly more than Borat. Um, yeah. But it's just... So I think, I think it... I think it has absolutely nothing to do with the script or the screenwriting process. I think it's just like... This was, you know, let's do this. Here you go. Here's a screenplay nomination for you. And it doesn't necessarily mean much. But, uh, yeah, I'd say that's a a flaw. I, I kind of actually expected him uh, to be nominated for director this past year as yeah. kind of a surprise. 
Um, and then he wasn't, and uh, I, nobody was surprised by that because he wasn't really in the running. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, he's a good writer in the sense that he comes up with good things, and then the people, you know, the, the actors, he lets them just kind of run free. But like you said, that's more of a directorial choice than anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd... Uh, now I'm bummed out that the film was nominated for screenplay, even though I liked, <laughs> even though I liked uh, the words that were said. Okay, well let's uh, change direction drastically again. Go ahead, David. Okay, uh, I talked last week uh, at length about Ed Harris's direction in Appaloosa and how much I loved it. Yeah. Um, well, <clears throat> let's. Okay, there's a reason that uh, Orson Welles shares the title card with Greg Toland in right. Citizen Kane. The cinematographer is pretty much a part. You know. Uh, in the non-acting, so in the behind-the-camera side, he, he is the the second guy. He's right. uh, he has the second most amount of influence over how a film end turns out. Really, yeah. you know, um, at least during production. We'll talk not edit. We'll talk about editors later. And yeah. I don't have any editors to mention today because it's just not something that I. Well, here's the difference. Okay, okay. this is a great actually way to say it. Good editing is something you don't notice. Right. And in my opinion, good cinematography is something you don't necessarily notice. Right. But because I took cinematography classes and went to school for it, I tend to notice it. Yeah. Um, and of course, there's also good cinematography like Anthony Do- Anthony Dobmantle's cinematography in Slumdog Millionaire, which mm-hmm. is something you notice very much, but it's very accomplished and right. effective. Right. You know, I'm not I'm not shitting on that kind of cinematography. Right. But uh, this guy Dean Semler, who did Appaloosa. Every few movie, every few years, he seems to do a movie that I had the same thought of. It's like that is really assured, competent uh, cinematography that does not yeah. call attention to itself, but is such a part of the film. What uh, else has he done? I, I, I well, his f- name sounds familiar. He, he did um, the um, the Alamo a few years ago, the one okay. with uh, Dennis Quaid and Billy yeah. Bob Thornton. Which I don't know. Have we talked about that movie on this podcast? Because I don't know if we have. That movie is great. I really like it's it. It's so good. Yeah, uh, it got such. It got like. There's, it had such a backstory because originally Ron Howard was supposed to direct it with Russell Crowe, yeah. and they wanted like two hundred something million dollars for it, and Disney said no, which was a kind of a big deal at the time that right. the people with that much clout were just told no by Disney. Yeah. Uh, so then they gave it to the guy, uh, what's his name, John Hancock, right. who did the Rookie. Yep. Um, and he rehired Dennis Quaid from the Rookie. He got Jason Patrick, Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah. Um, Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson. I, I was I was trying to think who the other guy was. Yeah. Uh and he made a really really good movie. Yeah. I uh and it's weird cuz I mean as far as reviews, I mean it was pretty well reviewed. It just kind of got lost. Yeah, cuz I think even after he made it it kind of like was uh sat around for a while. I don't I think, think it got so. it, it got released right away. It's 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 a shame that people should go check that movie out yeah. because uh Sounds like we got a movie of the week brewing. <laughs> yeah. Um Actually no, we just said it. Yeah. Uh, and then, just a few years ago, Dean Sumner shot Apocalypto, which is a oh, yeah. perfectly photographed movie. Yeah, there's so many great things about Apocalypto. Yeah. I, <laughs> so I, I always say this, but someday we got to do a Mel Gibson episode because, uh, as a director, he fascinates me. Yeah, he's a fascinating person. <laughs> That's the word. Fa- <laughs> I mean, I like I like his movies. There's nothing wrong with them, but I'm more fascinated by his choices. Yeah, because uh, who would ever get away with those? Yeah, exactly. And I and. Don't know. Of the, he's directed four films, I think. Uh, Man without, without a, a face, face, Braveheart, Bar- Braveheart uh, Passion of the Christ, and Apocalypto. That's right. right. Yeah. Of the four films, Apocalypto is his best, I think. Actually, I, I that's my opinion, and I think it's, it's my, f- it's definitely my favorite of, of the. Bunch. Okay, good. Uh, I'm glad you agree. Um, and so Dean Sumner brings the same uh, steady-handedness to Appaloosa that he did to these films. That's. Mm. It's exactly the way that film should look yeah. without ever b- being, you know, uh, obtrusive about it. Yeah. You know, and the, I mean, certainly the, the production design goes, there's another aspect of Avalusa that I loved. It, it looks so right for that, for that time period, you know, because yeah. that's, it, it has, bec- the production design has a mixture. I wish I'd written down that guy's name or woman. I can't remember. Uh, it has the mixture of the fact that these are, this is uh, these are somewhat poor communities in the West, yeah. But also, everything is kind of new because it's new settlements, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so there's like maybe not as much furniture as there should be, but the boards are all very straight, and yeah, you know. And um, 
so the the production design in Appaloosa is fantastic, and Dean Semler does the perfect job of framing, yeah, both from both the both the exteriors and the interiors, uh, in uh, in, in every scene in, in Appaloosa. It is a, it is a very clean movie. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, considering westerns, and it's because I mean, you know, Deadwood and the and the town in Unforgiven, Big Whiskey. I mean, like. All of them had to start somewhere. I mean, they yeah. didn't. Be, they weren't built dirty, you know. Like, yeah, they. But so I mean, you get that in Deadwood too. I mean, yeah. I mean, you get yeah. When you're inside, built. like Bullock and Stars Hardware, I mean, that looks like a brand new place, right. you right. know. And I'll give in the nature of Deadwood, people yeah. are always tracking mud all over the town. Things right. are gonna get dirty pretty quickly. Yeah, things are gonna get dirty. <laughs> um, and the blood stains pile up. Yeah, there's a lot. As long you know, as you know how to scrub them, I don't. But <laughs> uh, well done. I just finished watching all of Deadwood over again last night. Uh, there is a lot. There is a lot good about Appaloosa, and I mean, at the very least, from a technical standpoint, I mean, it wasn't nominated for anything. It no. wasn't even in the running. Uh, it that that's a shame. Um, so I will talk about uh, screenplay and. Supporting actors, I I did categorize. Sorry, everybody. That's uh, And the reason I'm going to talk about these two together is because they're the same movie, which is The Visitor. Um, it was written by Thomas McCarthy, who also directed. Uh, he did The Station Agent, mm-hmm. and he just his script is just it's everything that I love. It's just it doesn't overplay its hand. He doesn't overwrite things. He keeps everything very quiet. Um, has conversations that are packed with meaning, but nobody's, but not everybody says, you know, what they mean. At the same time, it is not a Jim Jarmusch film, because where nobody says anything of any importance. <laughs> you know, don't get me wrong, I love Jim Jarmusch, but like, like his his dialogue is almost so innocuous that it's that that makes it stylized. Because yeah. in life, people will sometimes declare something, <laughs> um, and and that's what happens in in uh, the visitor where just he he's just so great at creating realistic relationships i mean just the way that they start and the way that they grow you believe it every step of the way and just that he doesn't he doesn't move the characters along too fast it just it's such a it's just such a satisfying movie to me um and as amazing as Richard Jenkins is, the whole cast is great, um, and and he's he's the best part of it. But uh, a woman named, and again, I'm sorry about the uh, the pronunciation, everybody. Uh, Chaim Abbas. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but she uh, basically there's Richard Jenkins, and then he meets this uh, this couple, and they're illegal immigrants, and then one of them gets uh in trouble with the law so much so that his mother shows up and she is richard jenkins age and and it seems if this were a lesser movie there'd be a romantic element to their relationship it's like oh i'm a single man you're a single woman we're the same age we are bonding over this so now let's kiss they wouldn't say that of course but that's the uh um, <laughs> What's going on in your kitchen? I believe my cat is in the sink. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> there we go. Um, sorry. Uh, but again, with the performance and with the screenplay, it's like, yeah, her son might be deported. Or at the very least, he's in jail. Yeah. And there's bigger things to worry about than these two coming together. You know, it's just... But there is... <laughs> but there is some of that, uh, but just a just a hint of it, you know. And I think that that's the way that she that she plays the role. And Richard Jenkins. I mean, there's a moment where she clearly just needs somebody. She just needs to be held because they're getting bad news, and she doesn't know how long this is going to keep going on. And he does that for her, and it's such a sad moment. But the way she plays the character she's used to these sad moments. She just comes to expect them. She doesn't like them, but it's just almost a foregone conclusion. Like she, there's a certain inevitability uh, to them that she, her character just accepts it. It's a, 
yeah, I mean, it. everything about the film is just very, as I said, just very satisfactory. You, you come away from it. It has moments of sadness, moments of comedy, um, but you come away from it just really feeling, at least I felt very touched by it, uh, certainly by, by all the performances, but, uh, but by uh, Hayam Abbas uh, most especially. So, okay. Well, I've also I'm gonna we're we're taking a long time to get through this <laughs> right. longer than I thought we would. I got so, one more, David. It's uh, right. I've got a few more, but I'm gonna knock a bunch out at once here because right. uh, I'm, I'm I'm just gonna do all my female performances at once. Boom. Um, now we we talked last week about uh, the wrestler and I've loved you so long. Yeah. Both movies that are essentially good movies that are occasionally elevated to greatness right. by the p- lead performance. Yeah. Now I'm gonna talk a movie that it's essentially a dumb movie, but is occasionally elevated to goodness. By the lead female performance. Do you know where I'm going? I see where you're going. Okay. Uh, I'm going to talk about Anna Ferris and the House Bunny. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm glad that she is starting to get more respect as a comedic actress, it seems like, in the press at least. And right. I, I think... No, I can't remember. I remember... She's got something in the... in the, in the the Coming down the pike that looks actually pretty promising. Mm-hmm. Um, but she is so great in, uh, in the House Bunny. I, I feel like... I feel like a uh, compulsory uh, need to compare her to Lucille Ball, but I'm not even a huge Lucille Ball fan. Uh, right, right. But that's kind of the right energy. She's like big and brash and goofy and completely and completely fearless, which is something... Fearless is the right word, yeah. Which is frankly something that you... Traditionally, things are changing, I think, uh, in a lot of ways, but uh, traditionally you find more fearlessness, like comedic fearlessness in males... Than yeah. females, you know. I mean, obviously there are exceptions. Lucille Ball being one of them. Right. G- Gilda Radner definitely. Yeah. You know. Um, and now we've got Kristen Wiig on Saturday Night yeah. Live, who is fantastic, and and Amy Poehler and all that. But anyway, uh, well, that that's what Anna, Anna Ferris does. She just she keeps the movie buoyant. Yeah. By never relenting, you know, uh, always uh, just chewing into every every line and, and, and finding the funny in it. Yeah. You know, uh, so that's, I just wanted to mention the house bunny. I'm hoping that this, I, uh, I've only seen clips of legally blonde, but, um, a lot of, a lot of people liked Reese Witherspoon from election, but legally blonde is kind of what put her commercially on the map. The, the, the concept that she could carry a film and be yeah. funny in it. And I feel like, uh, cause a lot of people, uh, you know, a lot of people say the house bunny is not very good, but everybody agrees that uh, Anna Ferris is is something you know something to be that the film should be very proud of that they thought to cast her, yeah, and that she does so well with it, and hopefully, and I think it did okay at the box office, and yeah. So I think it did hopefully, well. it will springboard her into something, yeah, you know, something bigger and hopefully better. And people should also see the house bunny because of, uh, Christopher McDonald only has like two scenes in it, but he's brilliant. As he as he always is. Uh, now I want to uh, talk about a movie that I, if people who listened last week know that I hated. Hated. S- Synecdoche, New York. Okay. But uh, certain performances all around are really good, but I, I want to take a second to talk about the women, the female performers in Synecdoche, New York, because okay. the... Did you ever see it? No, I never did. Okay. It's coming out on DVD. I'll, I'll watch it then. The movie is, a, uh, is essentially Philip Seymour Hoffman... And um, essentially, a bunch of women yeah. who the screenplay sets up. Every woman in the movie only is only in the movie to to serve and often to service uh, Caden Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, who is of course an, an avatar for Charlie Kaufman himself. Yeah. Um, and it's a big part of the reason that I hated the movie, you yeah. know, because um, these these women don't really have any identity that we get to know. Mm. Aside from how it affects Philip Seymour Hoffman, yeah. But each one of them, from Catherine Keener to Robin Weigert to Michelle Williams to uh, uh, Diane Weist, yeah. uh, each one of them is amazing. They're amazing performances. Oh, yeah. um, I'm forgetting uh, Samantha, Samantha Morton, Morton yeah. of course, um, and I'm probably forgetting someone else. Uh, but uh, so I just want to give them a big round of applause <laughs> for being so awesome in a movie. That frankly is not forgiving to them <laughs> as characters. Yeah, it's not in sympathy with them. It's, they're kind of on their own. Yeah. Hmm. So I just wanted to point that out. Okay. Uh, you said you had something else. I uh, well, director. Okay. I, uh, I wanted to. 
Okay. <laughs> this is not a perfect film. Valkyrie is not a perfect film. <laughs> okay, I didn't see it because I heard that it was far from perfect. Right. Um, as I've mentioned on the show before, it surprised me how good it actually was. Um, and the fact that it was good, as I said before, the accents or lack of accents kind of bothered me a little bit because of you can make larger points about that. But um, And that's a directorial choice. Oh, Jennifer Jason Lee. Jennifer Jason Lee. Forgetting her. Okay. Because she was actually hilarious in Synecdoche. That is <laughs> you don't something. think of her as being of her, a comedic yeah. right, right, you know the most serious part of fast times at Ridgemont high <laughs> yeah um but uh but Brian singer in you watch valkyrie and and I remember there's one there's one th- little moment that I remember, and it's early on in the film where a bunch of uh Nazi military officers are standing on a uh like a runway waiting for Hitler's plane to arrive. Uh-huh. And as and you just kind of see them all standing around and as the plane shows up and touches down it cuts to a shot of all of their feet. And then you, then you just see a bunch of cigarettes drop down and they all you know step on them. Uh-huh. And it's a little mo- it it's an absolute detail like that where we don't really see these people's faces and then you see that and you don't need to. They're nervous. You know, they've they've all been smoking. He shows up, and now we all need to put our cigarettes they're waiting away. For, they're waiting for Hitler? They're waiting for Hitler. Didn't Hitler not smoke? Wasn't that a thing? Um, yeah, I think he... I don't think he smoked or drank or anything like that. So, like, there's a lot of elements in just that one shot, and it's uh-huh. very much a detail. I mean, it, I don't know if it was in the script or not, but yeah. something like that. I mean, I think, I think Brian Singer is... Like I said, it's not a perfect film, but he captures... Moments like that, and also, I mean, Tom Cruise plays a character with uh, not very many fingers and one eye, and he's got a lot of things wrong with him, but uh, <laughs> he's all messed up. Uh, but, and and what I like is that it doesn't, it doesn't just, you know, breeze over that. It actually takes the time to help us realize... What would that? What would life be like if you're trying to <laughs> orchestrate a plan to kill the most powerful man in Europe at the time, and you don't have all your fingers, you know, and you're trying to set a bomb, you know, like uh-huh. it really does. It, it's it's attention to detail like that that sells the movie, um, and sells the characters. Uh, that and also it just it has such a strong, it has such a strong. Um, uh, hold on the tone that it's always supposed to have. I mean, it. This could have just been seen as a straight up drama, but he approaches it like a thriller. And the fact that you you know that these people that these guys do not succeed in killing Hitler, but you kind of forget because you kind of feel like they could pull it off, and it's like, well, they could, but they don't. Uh-huh. It's already done, but you forget that you get caught up in just in how much of a, uh, I'd say, a master of his craft that Brian Singer is, and you just accept. I mean, he puts you in the mindset of the characters. They think they could pull it off, and you think they can too. It's really, it's, you know, some of the, like, not all the acting is is great. There's some flaws in the writing. But directorially, I really think it's it's probably one of his better movies. And I'd say people should, should, People who are who are avoiding watching it because of all the bad press, give it a look. It really it surprised me, and I think it will probably surprise you as well. I'm talking to you, David. Okay, thank you. All right, all right. I, I'll just mention one more thing too. Well, my favorite director of the year is Jonathan Demme. He did Richard right. Getting Married, but um, I want to mention Richard Getting Married uh, for another reason. Okay. Okay. Well, let me first say, generally, nine times out of ten, I tend to prefer when a movie is scored as opposed to when there are pop songs used to right. th- because uh, often pop songs uh already have resonance with us right. and it's sort of a it becomes a crutch yeah or a shortcut yeah yeah but i want to talk about two movies uh rich getting married has okay. a lot of uh popular type music in it and then there's a one one part have you still not watched it i still have not watched it okay well there's one part where um there's a uh, a Neil Young song is used, okay. and 
Um, I kind of, when it first started, I kind of bristled because I was like, oh, this is going to be kind of painful and embarrassing. And then by the end of it, I, it was perfect. Hmm. Um, and then I also want to mention Wally. Wally, oh, yeah. which used the Hello Dolly music yeah. uh, in in new ways. You right. know, that's that, that's what's really special about about that. When when you can take songs that already have uh, already have already contextualize yeah. in the audience's world and and repurpose them effectively. Yeah, um, it's yeah. You're absolutely right about Wally because I, I don't care about Hello Dolly, and I don't usually care. Uh, I don't usually enjoy show tunes, but he manages to package it in such a way that not only is it not annoying to me, uh, <laughs> it's actually quite moving, yeah. you know, and it and it has deep meaning and it has even deeper meaning uh, when Andrew Stanton gave his speech. Yeah, that, I love that. That was a great moment. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I can't you know, off the top of my head, I'm trying to I was trying to think of like anything else would spring to mind. Uh, during our conversation, nothing really has like those are the big most, you know, it's mostly performances, but, uh, but yeah, there's, I, I, the one, I don't know the Oscars, it's kind of a mixed, it's kind of a mixed blessing because it can get, I mean, you know, Slumdog Millionaire just made two, just passed the $200 million mark as far as box office. Wow. Domestic. Uh, I don't, I don't, uh, you know what? Maybe because I think it's like number three at the box office right now. And that's because of the Oscars. You know, and so, I mean, it's been in the top ten for a while, but it jumped up several notches because of the Oscars. And I used to follow that stuff. I should. I don't follow it that much unless it's unless I'm trying to make a bigger point. Um, And so, so the Oscars can be very useful in Uh exposing certain films. But the downside is that those are the only films that are going to be exposed. You know, like some people will wind up. You know, somebody who want who. The Oscar nominees come out and they're like, "Oh, I'm going to watch I'm going to watch these movies." Well, they still might be missing some of these other films that, you know, Happy Go Lucky because it wasn't nominated for any huge awards. I mean, it was up for screenplay, but a lot of people don't pay attention to that. But because it wasn't up for anything huge, some people might some movie lovers might actually skip it because it's just not in the forefront of their brain. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I mean, it's bound to happen. Um, but hopefully uh in rattling off our our list here of you know because i would say that oh, my cat's doing cute things um i would say that uh for at least for for the the individual achievements that i mentioned i would recommend these films oh yeah based on these you know yeah well, except, except for synecdoche i'd recommend everything there i talked go. about yeah um but the chances are you're probably going to watch it anyway so pay close attention to the women in <laughs> yeah. synecdoche new york but uh Anyway, so um, so yeah, hopefully you guys get to get some some use out of this and go watch some movies that you otherwise wouldn't yeah. think to. Um, so we've done okay. We had the Oscar one. We had the best movies. Now we have our individual achievements. Next week we'll be getting back to what our show actually is. Yeah, we'll be doing some topics. We'll yeah. be a little more academic. I suppose it's kind of academic. It's fun, and I'm hoping it's fun for the listeners. But uh, if you've missed, you know the battle, the battleship attention that you know. It'll be back next week. Yeah. Don't worry. We'll be back with... Oh, and next week is, I believe, our uh, two-year anniversary, David. So How about we've, that? Yeah. We've got something special planned. No, we, we don't. don't have anything special <laughs> I planned. just realized. No. So, um, um, <laughs> all right. What sort of announcement should we get out of the way? Uh, um, leave we'll, us a review we'll, on iTunes. Um, subscribe to us if you're not subscribed. It would help. Right. Um, if you still, uh, again, um, we mentioned last week, I assume people listen, we want to start making these sort of videos once every couple weeks or so. Right on the website of you guys just us just answering questions that you've submitted to us they right. don't have to be about films uh, it can be about anything and yeah tr- trust me we'll be we'll, we'll, we'll try and be uh pithy and delightful yeah uh, it'll be a fun feature and we'll uh, get you to our website <laughs> 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 can i be more bald-faced about why we're doing this <laughs> yeah you didn't have to say that last part uh but uh, we can we can take that out. It's but fine. speaking of the website, it's battleshipretention.com. That's right. You can email us at battleshipretention at hotmail.com. We may be uh, having some new having some new. That's that's an awful sentence. Uh, we may have uh, some new 
email addresses in the near future, one for David and one for myself. Uh, we're not sure. Yeah. We're trying to work that out. But, uh, um, yeah, anything else, it, David? Well, there's plenty of other reasons to visit our website. Absolutely. There's Movie of the Week. Absolutely. There's the blog. There's the forums. Yeah. You can look up all our past guests. You can do all kinds of great Great stuff there. Yeah, and actually... And you can also uh, uh, click on a donate button and give us true. money. That's true. That's true. It's what keeps us going, um, aside from, of course, your uh, encouragement. Um, <laughs> yeah, and actually, uh, I'm glad you mentioned the blog, David. Uh, <laughs> if you wanted an actual list of our 10 favorite movies of the year, uh-huh. um, and you don't feel like listening to the two-hour episode again, uh, they're on the blog. Oh, you good. can go and just go from there, and you don't have to... Uh, try and write stuff down as you drive and listen to this. So, <laughs> um, so thanks everybody for uh, listening, and uh, we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.